Welcome to the SF Weekly Podcast. I'm Nick Veronin, your editor in exile, and I'm joined, as always, by Kevin, the curfew crusher Hume. <laughs> How are you doing today, Kevin? Oh, it's Friday. It's a little chilly, but I'm doing all right. Yeah, it is chilly. I, I like, I think I like the cool weather. I, I Summer, I, it, I get a little too hot sometimes, yeah. especially at night going to sleep. Oh yeah, me too, man. Uh, I I definitely do very well in cooler temperatures, uh, especially since when I I moved to Oregon a couple of years ago. I acclimated to that very well, <laughs> so mm-hmm. happy that fall and winter weather is here. And you just got back from Big Sur, I understand, just in time for the latest round of COVID nineteen restrictions handed down by our governor. It was probably pretty cold there. Yeah, it was. And it rained a lot. So, um, mm. yeah, a little uh, a little crazy coming back. Yeah, coming down Highway 1. Was it raining when you were coming back? No, I mean, it only rained uh, the first night. So it was just that. Um, but just, you know, like oh, nice. we had spotty service, but just getting some of the updates of what was happening. Like, oh, wow. Yeah, we kind of saw this coming. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's beautiful out there, though. It is. Um, did you ever watch? Did you ever watch that Adult Swim cartoon, Perfect Hair Forever? Well, I'm not sure if I ever did. No. Man, it's offensive. <laughs> <laughs> I just watched a few. I watched a few clips of it. I really only knew the name of it from that Danger Doom, Danger Mouse, MF Doom collaboration, Danger uh-huh. Doom. I, I mean, uh, I mean, I swear this will all make sense in a minute. But I just watched a clip and. Uh, it sounds like the guy who voices Carl from Aqua Teen Hunger Force doing uh-huh. like an Asian accent for one of the characters. <laughs> Not a good look. No. Um, but speaking of bad looks and perfect hair, <laughs> uh, Governor Governor Gavin Newsom is getting sous-vided for attending a private dinner at Thomas Keller's three Michelin starred Yauntville restaurant, The French Laundry, where, and I don't know about you, Kevin, I always dine off me. <laughs> of course, of course, uh, conservative media, all media, really, us included, are having a field day with this. Um, it was hypocritical and it smacks of elitism and all that. And uh, I did I did want to read Newsom's statement uh, apologizing for what he did after he was called out. Quote, as soon as I sat down at the larger table, I realized it was a little larger group than I had anticipated, and I made a bad mistake. Mm-hmm. Instead of sitting down, I should have stood up and walked back, got in my car, and drove back to my house. Instead, I chose to sit there with my wife and a number of other couples that were outside the household. We can quibble about the guidelines, etc., but the spirit of what I'm preaching all the time was contradicted, and I gotta own that. So I want to apologize to you because I need to preach and practice not just preach and not practice. And I've done my best to do that. We're all human. We all fall short sometimes. I mean, I don't know. Do you buy it, Kevin? Uh, I don't know. I want to buy it be- just because like, we kind of need leadership and he has been fairly effective at leading us through this crisis. But the guy has always kind of been in this silver spoon kind of lifestyle and, uh, you know, kind of a yuppie upper san you know upper wealthy tier san francisco so i don't know like it just reeks of that sort of you know the rules apply to thee not to me type of situation unfortunately right right yeah i mean i i uh 
I don't know if I buy the entire thing, but I do appreciate, you know, that he says I got to own that. Um, and you know, the guy decided to eat at a restaurant. Um, I think there were like 11 people there and the limit at that time was maybe 10. Mm -hmm. So he's probably like, man, this is fine. Like, like the dog in with the coffee in the room on fire. (laughs) This is fine. (laughs) Yeah. This is a pretty good, pretty good description of our year. Actually. This is fine. Exactly. Yeah. This is fine. I get it. Like I could see like in, in the moment, like, you know, getting invited to something and it's like, Oh man, I haven't been to something in so long. And just like wanting desperately to be with friends and family. Like many of us are with Thanksgiving next week. Um, you know, and just wanting that connection and that sort of just, you know, to feel like things are sort of normal again, you know, um, it's hard to walk away from that in the moment. So I think I can understand that reaction, but just, I mean, I don't know. It just sounds like it was a bad situation from the get go, uh, you know, uh, a birthday party uh, those things can just easily, it's like, you know, friends that you, you invite so many people and you expect some not to show up, but then everybody shows up, you know, and you're like, well, I planned a dinner for <laughs> eight and we have 13. What are we going to do? I don't know. Yeah. And I mean, everyone's reaming him for the, that. It's at the French laundry and you know, that's an easy, that's an easy target, but it's like, what you, what are you going to do? Not <laughs> take your reservations at the French laundry. I don't know. Uh, it, what you just said about Thanksgiving reminds me of the, um, the onion article going around, which you may have seen the headline is um, mom completely understands that coming to Thanksgiving is risky and that you don't love her. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's kind of where we're all at right now, you know. Like uh, it's a lot of social pressure. Uh, yeah, yeah. Seriously, are are you thinking? I mean, is it okay if I ask if you're thinking of going home for Thanksgiving or any of that? Yeah, no. I mean, I, I, I at, at this at the moment, I'm nervously checking the weather um, uh, in the the city, the region where my aunt's house is, and. Uh, and still looks like it's not going to rain. So the plan is to have it outdoors. So, okay. All right. San Carlos. Yeah. But yeah. Um, I mean, and we should say as far as politician apologies go, he could do worse. I mean, can you think of any specific politician who is incredibly bad at apologizing? Anybody come to mind? <laughs> it's hard to, uh... is, there, is there any glaring example <laughs> it's, oh, it's hard to put my finger um, on one there's so many that are so bad at it tiny finger yeah exactly little tiny finger on your tiny hand anyway uh back to the curfew i mean uh it's like here we go again after a disorienting spring and surreal summer it feels like it felt like we were actually getting the hang of this COVID thing, you know, and we had our pods and our grocery store best practices and an embarrassing number of customized masks and the empty toilet paper shelves and the paper towel shelves at target. Those were like disconcerting a reminder that we might, you know, be on the brink of some kind of the road esque collapse. But yeah. um, like, it seemed like we were adjusting, it seemed like we were adjusting. And then, now nationally a quarter million have died uh cases are spiking and you know much of the bay area is uh under this new mandate uh and in the purple tier and it's just like ugh. it's frustrating man you know um no matter how hard we've all tried it just seems like we're not doing enough and you know like it's sort of 
it sort of makes this makes me think that like I wish we almost could have gone under like a massive lockdown in the way that like some countries have. But even then, like you know, Italy went under a massive yeah. lockdown and they are spiking, and I think Spain did after they had a huge spike. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I I hear you, and I think like we as journalists especially, but like everybody, everyone likes to prognosticate, and you know, everyone likes to have their opinion validated and borne out by, you know, whatever happens. But this is just such a, this is a, a thing where it's, it's really hard to predict. And it's also just like, it's, we're dealing with human nature and, you know, I, I, I get it. We're all tired. We're all stressed. We're all cooped up. We all could use a night out with our friends and I'm not trying to defend Newsome, but like, I'm just saying, you know, I get it. It's like, how do we, well, hopefully the, um, vaccines that's hopefully what what will really turn the page here yeah i mean it seems like that's sort of like the uh the light at the end of the tunnel you know like we've gotten news from uh pfizer and moderna about their testing going on and it seems like they might be right around the horizon uh you know maybe in the spring or maybe in the summer uh i know that seems like a long time but you know like if we just try to do our best about staying out of public and you know, doing the hand washing and hand sanitizer and wearing masks, we might be able to survive this, you know, hopefully not too chilly winter. Maybe, maybe it'll rain a lot and we get a good sort of a reversal on this drought. That's also been problematic for the last year or two. That's yeah. caused so many of these fires that have also have to make, have to made us wear masks the last couple years, you know? Yeah. And I mean, that's another, that's another reason to look forward to winter. And in my opinion, when this all started, um, it was spring and we, we got, you know, in that, in late March and in April, we got some rain. And I remember just, you know, that's when everyone was playing animal crossing. I, yeah. I never got into it. Um, but like I was playing a lot of video, I was playing a lot of video games and I was just mm. like inside and like, this ain't so bad. So maybe, you know, we can ride out a few more months, uh, Breath of the Wild 2, I don't know when that's coming out, mm. but like, get us Breath of the Wild 2, please, <laughs> for God's sakes. Or how about uh, Sony and Microsoft uh, release more Xbox, whatever, and the new PS5? That would be really There you go. Are you an Xbox guy? I am not, unfortunately, <laughs> but my girlfriend has a PS4 and we've talked about, you know, do we want a PS5? Um, and I know that, um, for Christmas, uh, her mom and her sister-in-law are trying to look for the new Xbox for her brother. Uh, and you know, it's just sold out everywhere. So, you know, uh, mm. if, uh, companies would do a better job of releasing things and not letting, uh, massive bots get in the way of buying everything up, that would be great. Oh yeah. I hate, I hate that kind of shit, man. Yeah, man. It seems like when anything cool goes on sale, everybody, you know, just, it gets bought up by fake things that people use. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like you said, two very promising vaccines that I hear are going to start making the very early rounds in December, but it is going to take a while to ramp up for sure. And, and distribution and then, and then breaking through that wall of like conspiracists that, yeah. that will present a challenge in, in terms of getting to um, a level of, of um, I think you call it herd, uh, herd immunity with, with uh, vaccines as well. I know that's been floated as like, you just got to get sick and get better. But I think the herd immunity thing is it's like, 
enough people are immune that the virus really can't spread effectively. But hopefully with a, a few months of discipline with those vaccines and with the help of a fresh crew of leaders who are more interested in listening to scientists than discrediting them for political points, we will uh, maybe be able to close the book on this thing. Yeah, seriously. And when we finally do, thanks in no small part to the fact that um, I haven't been inside a bar for the better part of a year and uh, I've got a, got a chunk of change saved up, uh, I, I might actually have enough money to afford a glass of house red at the French Laundry during happy hour. <laughs> the good life. Right? Well, coming up, we have Veronica Irwin talking with Amber Center about the great work queer women are doing in the legal cannabis industry. Stay tuned. Hey, y'all. This is Veronica Irwin, freelance contributor for SF Weekly and SF Evergreen. I'm here with Amber Center, one of Oakland's most influential cannabis activists. Amber's resume is quite impressive, so it's hard to decide what to list. She's co-founder and executive director of the nonprofit Supernova Women, which aims to lower barriers of entry for black and brown cannabis entrepreneurs. She founded the Equity Works Incubator, which is the nation's first social equity shared use manufacturing space for edibles. She successfully advocated for Oakland's Cannabis Social Equity Program, which was the first in the country, and she even managed to advocate for lower taxes for those social equity and small cannabis businesses in Oakland. Outside of her activism, she also runs Breeze Distro and the boutique flower company, The Congo Club. Amber is truly an inspirational force. I can definitely say that personally, and so I feel very, very lucky to have her with us. How's it going, Amber? Yeah, it's going great. Thanks for that amazing intro. <laughs> did I cover everything? <laughs> yeah, I think you did. Okay, good, good. Um, well, just to start, like I just said, obviously you've had a hand in a lot of the local cannabis activism of the last several years, pretty much since since 2016 and Prop 64 at least. Um, and as a fellow queer woman, I can't help but notice that a lot of the work you're doing is also being done alongside other queer women. Um, so that's where I'd like to kind of start. Why do you think queer women are so often leading this fight, at least locally? Um, so being a woman is challenging because, as you know, um, we don't necessarily have equal rights uh, to men. <laughs> so we're constantly having to advocate for ourselves in, uh, in that regard. And then being queer is... Uh, is there's something even you know is even another challenge on top of that and i haven't even gotten to my first barrier which is being black so um we're constantly having to carve out our own paths and um and activism just comes naturally to us you know or we're always having to advocate for ourselves so um that's why i think we see such a strong presence amongst uh, queer women um, in these types of um, fights and, and, and in this kind of advocacy work. Yeah, definitely. It makes sense. We're uh, well rehearsed, I guess, in learning how to advocate for ourselves because we have to all the time. Yes. 
in terms of the cannabis industry and like what you are fighting to, you know, make better, is the cannabis industry any more accepting to LGBTQ women than other industries? And like, what is the representation like? Um, yeah, you know, um, I previously I was in print and that's a very male dominated industry. And, um, you know, I don't know how many queer women were in print, but I didn't see a whole lot. <laughs> uh, so being here, uh, you know, in the Bay Area is a bit of a bubble than the rest of the country. Like, this is just a very queer area, period. So um, I would say that uh, queer women are are um, have uh, a decent amount of representation in cannabis. Is it great? Like, no, but um, we're here. Um, and I would say that as the industry becomes more mainstream, you see less and less queer folks in it. And um, that's because, you know, the more money that comes in, the more uh, really just like kind of typical uh uh, good old boy network comes in because they're the ones that have the access to capital and and um, they bring in uh, the people that they know and uh, queer women aren't necessarily represented in, in their circles. So um, as the industry grows, um, our representation becomes smaller. And uh, that's definitely a problem in seeing that um, the uh the regulated cannabis industry as it is today um was um that queer people played a huge part in it uh, especially here in the bay area is really where it was born um in san francisco and oakland in particular and um you know seeing um from what it was then to where it is now is is definitely much different um the landscape looks obviously much different but so does the representation and so I'm hoping that um, queer people understand and know that they are welcome in cannabis and um, and we have to continue to um, kind of uh, make space in cannabis for uh, for queer people, in particular queer women. Totally, totally. And I get into this a little bit in my article, um, but we're recording this um, before it will be published. Um, just for the listener, I guess I could explain it, but I'm kind of eager to see if you would like to. Um, just kind of like what is that LGBTQ history in cannabis activism? Like what is the Bay Area's LGBTQ's connection to cannabis? Yeah, so um, it's got a really strong connection. You know, um, the authors of Prop Proposition 215 uh, were primarily queer. Um, Dennis Perone uh, uh, and uh, Brownie Mary, she would make um, lots of uh, edibles for uh, folks suffering from the uh, AIDS epidemic, which was running rampant around that time. Um, uh, so there were just a lot of gay people um, obviously dealing with AIDS um, and um, and looking for relief and finding relief in cannabis. Mm -hmm. And so uh, those were our advocates and uh, they really stepped up and, um, and uh, advocated 
to formalize um, the cannabis industry so that uh, folks could get access to cannabis much easier than what it was. And mm -hmm. so Wayne Jutman, um, uh, uh, like I mentioned, Dennis Perrone, um, all had a huge, huge part in um, in in what where we're at now. Totally, totally. Um, I was actually just talking to Wayne Justman this last weekend, a couple of days ago. Um, I believe he told me to tell you that you were spectacular. I believe that was the <laughs> pass along. He's like, if you talk to Amber, tell her she is spectacular. Um, uh -oh. for the listeners, well, thanks, Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Wayne is a lovely human being. Um, and just for context for the listeners, he was the first licensed medical cannabis patient, probably in the world, technically. Um, he worked with the city of San Francisco to make the first medical cards. And so his name is on the very first one that was ever printed. Um, yeah, amazing that's movie. amazing. And we've come so far since then. Yeah. You know? It's it's crazy. But yeah, what, what they did was was critical, important. It wasn't easy. And, um, you know, um, but that's usually the, these underrepresented groups are the ones that really step up and, um, and do it not just for themselves, but also for the community. Mm -hmm. Totally, totally. I mean, he never stopped, you know, advocating for, for better cannabis legislation. He never stopped. Right. He still mm -hmm. does. With where the cannabis industry in the Bay Area stands right now, what do you think we still need to work on to make this industry more inclusive and equitable? Um, I mean, so the industry as it is, is uh, as I was mentioning, there's a, there's a lot of money coming in. And there's uh, with that, um, with the barriers that have been set now with legalization and proposition, Prop 64 being implemented. Um, I mean, it's the cost of compliance is is huge. Uh, taxes are are steep, and um, there's uh, it's like the industry has been built for um, a certain segment of people, and um, uh, those people have deep pockets, and um, those people are usually white males. So um, this industry, um, really just the sale of cannabis, uh, the, the consumption of cannabis, uh, all of that, uh, uh, you know, black and brown people sacrifice quite a bit in order to bring cannabis to the masses. Um, and the industry was really built on the backs of black and brown folks, um, black people being incarcerated and Latinos being incarcerated at significantly higher rates than their white counterparts. And um, we need to make sure that that these groups are included in, in legalization and able to find a pathway or have a pathway to participate in the regulated market. And the way it is now um, with the barriers, it's it's very hard for these underrepresented groups to participate because they just don't have the access to the resources that uh, some of these very well-funded 
white male dominated groups do. So um, it's really important for um, legislators to see that, recognize that, and then take action and do something about it. So, um, you know, the social equity program that was established by the city of Oakland was one way to address the war on drugs. And I said one way, because it's just one program. I think that and we have to look at this from a number of different angles and see exactly how the drug war has affected black and brown communities and figure out ways to address that. And only one very small, small way to, uh, to address it is what the social equity program currently does in Oakland. And that is giving priority licensing and offering support to those from to those individuals and communities that were affected by the war on drugs. Mm-hmm. Now, licensing is just one piece of it, you know. Oh, here's a here's your cannabis license. Uh, here's some money to help you start your cannabis business and some support. Here's some technical support. Here's an incubator. You can go and make your edibles. But what about what about those folks who were affected by the laws? thrown in jail, maybe their dad was taken away and put in jail for 30 years, 20 years. How do you help those communities? How do you help those people that lost their homes, lost their jobs? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, the way the equity programs are currently, they're extremely narrow. They're only looking at one thing, and that's licensing, and how to get people cannabis businesses. Why would someone want a cannabis business if their whole life was destroyed by cannabis? Well, not by necessarily the plant, but the laws around the plant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like we have to figure out ways to support the communities that were decimated. And it's not just through licensing. It's through housing grants. It's through community programs. You know, it's through su- supporting community organizations that are already doing the ground. So I think we have to not look at this so narrowly. Oh, here's your cannabis business license. And here's some money. Like, no, 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 no. We've really got to take a step back and look at this whole picture on how these communities were completely destroyed and figure out other ways in which we can support them and infuse money and support and resources into these communities that were just taken away. Definitely. I mean, I couldn't say it better. There's so much work to be done. And I think a lot of the Bay Area is really indebted to you and your peers at Supernova, at Supernova Women, at Hood Incubator. I mean, there's, you know, folks like you have at least started this process and are always talking about all of the more work that needs to be done. And, you know, thank you for that. Yeah, thank you. Um, With that being said, what does 2021 look like for you? Are you mainly going to be working on the incubator, your um, shared manufacturing space for social equity edible makers, or are there other projects in the works? Um, Yeah, definitely working on the incubator. Um, I've got a dispensary that's been in the pipeline for a couple of years now in San Francisco. So hopefully we'll be... um, that will be opening up. That'll be exciting. 
Very exciting. Yeah. Um, with the incubator, um, we're, we'll be um, helping manufacturers make products and distributing them throughout the state. So we just opened up, uh, well, we're working on opening up a distro hub in LA. Um, so we're working to get that operational now and um, just be doing a lot of <laughs> running around literally between Oakland and Southern California, um, really helping to um, uplift the brands in the incubator, um, put a spotlight on some of these brands and the founders behind them, and really just um, trying to get their products out and their stories out. So, yeah, just be uh, focusing on those things and then hopefully um, displaying and selling their their products on my own menu um, through uh, through the dispensary. Awesome. That is awesome. That's so exciting. Yeah. Um, and on that, on the dispensary, obviously you have your own flower company as well and distribution company. Um, I always like to wrap up with a bit of a more fun question, which is what have you been smoking? Amber, do you have any recommendations for us? Um, let's see. Yeah, I've definitely been smoking. Uh, I mean, uh, of course, some of my own weed. That's what I have here right now. The Congo Club <laughs> uh, Red Congolese, which is uh, my daytime smoke because kind of keeps me motivated and keeps me going. And then in the evenings, um, I like Canatique. Uh, they have some really, uh, really nice uh, uh, flowers. So they've got like a white cherry gelato. They've got um, uh, black cherry gelato. And they've got quite a few uh, types of flowers that I really dig. Um, I'm a huge fan of Zittles and and the uh -huh. really terpy, tasty stuff. So, um, me yeah. too. When you yeah. see those gelato strains, I'm like, mm mm. Sounds <laughs> <laughs> good. Yeah, that's 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 what I'm smoking on. Awesome, awesome. Well, I'm definitely gonna have to try that out. I don't think I've smoked anything from Canatique yet, so I'll definitely oh, have yeah. to try that out. Definitely yeah, try them out. They have a lemon cherry gelato. It's fire. Everything, really everything they have is is pretty amazing and tasty and pleasant. So awesome. yeah, look, check them out. I will. I will. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Amber. I really, really appreciate it. It was great to have you on the podcast and I hope that I get to speak with you again soon. Yeah, awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciated being on and having this discussion. Thanks so much for tuning into this week's edition of the SF Weekly Podcast. The episode was produced by me, Nick Veronin, with help from Veronica Irwin, Grace Z. Lee, and Benjamin Schneider. Our audio engineer is Mike Huguenor. The armature composed our theme music. For more hot takes, deep dives, and alternative views on San Francisco news, subscribe to our podcast through Apple, Spotify, and Google Play. 
Follow us on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash sfweeklypodcast and check out our website, sfweekly.com. See you next week. 